0: But well, once again, thank you so much for last week. Well, you know, as Marco said, that was an amazing event—a hundred-year anniversary—and I'd put that up as one of our top three events that you know I've actually witnessed, you know, or been a part of. You know, being here at, uh, as a pastor of Mission Valley. So, thank you so much. Looking for the next, uh, looking forward to the next uh, hundred years. Um, but many of you know that, you know, I have a lot of, you know, medical issues um, that, you know, I deal with some hereditary that I, you know, had no control over and some of my own doing. However, you know, I go see the doctor um, three times a year. And um, I never know how I'm doing until I get the results of my tests. Because it seems like every time I go, they take like five vials of blood. And I'm just so thankful that the person who draws my blood is so good because I am so needle phobic. I hate, I, I'm afraid, I'm scared to death of needles. But anyway... You know, they draw my blood. But like I said before, I never know how I'm doing until I get the test results back. And sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'm surprised that I'm doing better than I thought I was. And sometimes I'm surprised that I'm doing worse. You know, and um, I remember, you know, recently the doctor said, you know what? Your triglycerides are high. And I go, what? What? What do you mean my triglycerides are high? Because I thought I was, you know, improving in that area. You know, I cut down on all of the, you know, the fatty foods that I was, well, not on all, but a lot of the fatty foods. I was kind of watching what I was eating. So I was hoping to get a better report. But he came to me and said, no, they're high. They're high. And I'm just going, wait a second. All the work that I've been doing, everything that didn't make a difference. I said, what the heck then? I'll just go in." Go to McDonald's every week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, some, for some of us, that could be like our spiritual life. Because this is a year our theme is t- spiritual transformation. Well, the goal of your spiritual life, the reason why you're here is so you could be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And there are times when we're going and we are thinking we are doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden we get the blood work back and said guess what? Your triglycerides are high. Well, the good thing is at least you know, and so you could make some uh, life corrections in order to correct that issue. And today, you know, it's good to start off as as a new year to take a look at, okay, where are you at spiritually? You know, some of, you know, and we're going to go through this and some of you might think, oh, I'm, you know, doing you know, okay, And, you know, I, I love the Lord and I'm being blessed by the Lord and I'm walking with the Lord. And that's great. Others might say, ooh, you know, there are certain things in my life that, you know, I need to take a look at. Because there are things that I was doing that I thought would give me the results I want, but aren't. And so one of the things we talked about last week, and we're going to go through um, a part of, of John Ortberg's book The Life You Always Wanted. Actually, we're going to go through the whole book, but the way we're going to do this is we're going to start off in this book and then we're going to switch to going through the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount, and then we'll come back to the book. So for those of you who are in Chris Rapp's class who are going through the Beatitudes, you have a head start on us. Um but anyway, we're going to be going through the uh, Sermon of the Mount. But one of the things he says that many of us measure our spirituality by, or measure our transformation by what he calls pseudo transformation. You know, and what does he mean by that? And what he means by pseudo transformation is this, and we have this up on the slide. It says, if we are not marked, by greater and greater amounts of love and joy, we will inevitably look for substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those who are not Christians. Basically, you know what's the goal of transformation? Is what? Is a spiritual um, growth, to become more like Jesus. In other words, to increase in our ability to love. Not just love people that are like us, but to love our enemies, to love those who are. Persecutor to love those who just irk us, and to have more joy. And as we look at our lives, and we we see our lives, and we go, you know what? Ah, oh, you know, I'm I'm really not increasing in my love for God, nor am I increasing in my love for others. But I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I have the living God living inside of me. So we have to have some way to distinguish ourselves from those who um, aren't. Um, believers. And we use these boundary markers. Like I go to church, I tithe, I pray, I go to Bible study. They don't. Therefore, you know, uh, i uh, that's the way I'm being transformed. You know, I remember growing up, we always used to uh, use the phrase, into the word. Have you heard that phrase, into the word? Well, we, we used to ask people, you know, Caitlin, are you into the word? You know, Grace, are you into the word? Marco, are you into the word? And we used to always ask each other, are you into the word? And basically what's that mean? Are you reading the Bible, right? And, and then we tell people, yes, I'm into the word. I'm into the word, right? And we use that as a badge of honor until I realize that, you know, that's the wrong question or the wrong statement to be saying. We shouldn't be asking Are you into the word? Or we shouldn't be using, I'm into the word, as a badge of honor. The question we should be asking is, is the word into you? Do you see the difference? Is the word into you? Or when I make a statement, the word is into me. There's a huge difference. And I didn't realize that. And then I, I realized, you know what? I was just steeped in this. Are you into the Word? Yes, I'm reading the Bible. Therefore, that's my transformation. No. Is the Bible, in, is a Word into you? Is what you're reading transforming your life? Are you applying the principles in Scripture in your life? That's the question we should be asking, and that's the statement we should be making about ourselves. Is the word into us? Is the word into me? You know, because God isn't concerned with your external rituals. He really isn't. He's concerned with what? Your heart. He's always been concerned on what's on the inside, not the externals. But we concentrate so much on the externals. And even the Apostle Paul talks about this. In First Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Now now when we hear our drummers play here, you know, we've we're blessed to have good drummers. And when they hit those cymbals, hey, it sounds really good. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about maybe getting a preschooler or a kindergartner come up to this drum and get these drumsticks and just, and just banging on those cymbals right there. You know, it's like ah you know and you know this is what God is saying. God is saying, yeah, you could do all of these amazing things, but what? If you don't have love, you are like that kindergartner banging on that symbol. You're hurting my ears. You're hurting my ears. He also says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, if you have the knowledge and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, pretty impressive, right? But he says, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I might boast, that I refrain from certain activities. But if I do not have love, I gain nothing." And so what is the Apostle Paul saying here? All of the external things that you might use as markers of your own spiritual growth, what does he say? They are meaningless. They mean nothing if you what? Don't love God with all your heart and don't love your neighbor. It's meaningless. See, our spiritual life is defined by its center, our center, not on the external factors. You know, instead of focusing on the boundaries, Jesus focused on the center or the heart, the heart of our spiritual life. When asked to identify, you know, what's the law about? Jesus, you know, how should we live our lives? What laws should we obey? And Jesus' response was simply just to love God and love people he named a fundamentally different way of identifying who are the children of God. Do they love God? And do they love people who mean so much to God? This is now how he defines a disciple of Jesus Christ. And how we assess how we live our faith is so important. Because now we're going to transition to the three verses in the Bible that I think are the scariest verses in the Bible. Or at least, I know we're not supposed to be afraid, but growing up, these were the ones that troubled me the most, and they come out of the book of Matthew, seven twenty-one, And it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is heaven. Who is in heaven. And the people that Jesus, this is at the start of Jesus' ministry that he's talking about right here. So he's not talking about atheists and apostates and the religious leaders, he was talking to people like you and me. And when I always looked at this verse, I always said, you know, he's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking about the Pharisees who were hypocritical and judgmental. He's not talking about me. But as I continue to read this verse, you know, he's talking to people, you know, like me. And and basically he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, Lord was a, You know, a term could be used as a term of respect. You know, when we watch these movies, you know, let's say going back to the medieval times and they say, Yes, my Lord. You know, it's what? It's a term of respect. Um, But when you use the word Lord, Lord, basically you're acknowledging Jesus in a supernatural way. You're acknowledging Jesus as God. And that's what people were doing. They understood who Jesus was. They understood that he was God. And they understood that, okay, that he is worthy of being called what? Lord. But this term, Lord, Lord, also signifies an intense Passion, demonstrating the strength of the dedication and devotion they had to their faith. Those, so these people were not what we call CE Christians that come on Christmas and Easter. The words "Lord, Lord" indicated that these people were dedicated and they were devoted to their faith. And these were the ones who were seemingly dedicated and devoted to their beliefs and the way they lived out their faith. You know, all true Christians say, Lord, Lord. All true Christians acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. It says, intellectual correct belief does not indicating, indicate saving faith. When I was growing up, we used to always go to those, um, my parents always used to take me to these rallies where they said, does any, if any of you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just say this prayer. And you say this prayer, and then you walk down to the field. Voila, you're a Christian, right? Well, I no longer believe that, Okay. I no longer believe that just because you say a prayer and walk down to that field, that makes you a Christian. Because that's too easy. What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is a true disciple, the one who calls Lord, Lord? And we're going to look at that. He says, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven is the one who is a true disciple of of Jesus Christ, not the one who raises their hand and then just has nothing to do with the faith, not one who um, um, prays that prayer, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. And then he goes on to narrow the gate a little bit here or narrow the door. He says, many will say to me on that day, Now what's that day? That day is the day of the judgment. He's talking about the impending judgment that everyone will have to face. So he says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Wow. These people did some... Not only were they dedicated and devoted to their faith, they did some pretty amazing things here, right? But, you know, the word that really stuck to me as I was going through this again is Jesus uses the word many. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. You know, and I was looking up commentaries and looking at, okay, what is many? Many. And none of them really you know, were able to give me a good definition of what the word many is. But basically when we use the word many, we use the word meaning what? The majority or a large number. You know, it's interesting that the majority of people um, who claim to be believers will have claimed to say they know Jesus as Lord. Because that's what this is saying. You know, 75% of Americans call themselves believers or Christians. 75% of the people in our country call themselves believers. But, you know, out of that, so we have 323 million people who live in the United States. Now, granted, some of them are kids, but... If 75% of Americans call themselves Christians, that means there are 242 million people who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what does God, Jesus ask us to be? The salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. You know, for those of you who try cooking, right? For those of you who are into cooking, let's say you have, let's say, a pound of hamburger, Right? And you put three quarters of a pound of salt in that hamburger, it will be unedible, right? Why? Because it'd be so salty, you'd be like, la! You know, I can't handle this. But that's what we're saying, right? If 75% of the people in our country believe that they are Christians, what should be happening? man, that there should be revival after revival after revival, that this should be a changed nation because of Jesus Christ, because we're the salt, we are the flavoring, and this country should be flavored by God, and it should, shouldn't, you shouldn't even have to be a guest. You know, it should be so obvious because we are the salt of the earth. But what is happening here? I think it's this verse. I think it's this verse. These people claimed to do amazing things through the power of God. And you know when I looked at it, I said, well, surely they're Christians because what did they do? They prophesied. They drove out demons and they performed many miracles. So they have to be believers. Until we realize that God has used non-believers to do many powerful things. You know, God gave Balaam an accurate method, message of prophecy, even though he was a false and evil prophet. And we see that in Numbers chapter 22 to 25. God, Saul was used by God when he was under the spirit of prophecy, that he was able to prophesy, although he himself was lost. And that was in 1 Samuel 10.10. 10. And we have the wicked high priest Caiaphas, Prophesized that Jesus was going to die for a nation. So God is able to do amazing things through people who don't believe him. Or the other um, uh, reason or of why these people could do so many marvelous things if they weren't believers is that Satan could have been behind their ability to perform miracles. You know, in Matthew twenty four twenty four, Jesus says, and he's talking about the future, he says, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So in the future, there's going to be um, people who are going to be used by Satan to do these miraculous things to deceive people. And then, of course, we come to the conclusion of these three verses. And Jesus will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you who are evildoers. You know, what Jesus is saying here is that right belief passion spectacular displays of spiritual power doesn't prove a thing because notice also the word many at the beginning of this verse there's not going to be a few there's going to be many on those day and that day where he said I never knew you And we're not talking about those who don't claim to be, uh, don't know Jesus. We're not talking about the 95% that Marco was talking about in Japan. We're talking about those who claim to be believers. The majority of them will hear. Then I will plainly say, I never knew you. Away from me. And to me, that's the scariest thing. Because you look at these people and they were doing all the right things. They had all the right beliefs. They called Jesus Lord up here. But Jesus wasn't the Lord in here. And he said, I never knew you. Jesus said, well, you know about me. Yeah, you know a lot of things about me. But you never knew me. I know a lot of things about you. I know everything about you. But I don't know you and see the word there the Jewish word there is different than how we would say like I would say I know Edel meaning that Edel and I are friends when we get together we recognize each other I know that uh, he's wearing a Ram fan Uh, he's a Ram fan he's wearing a Rams jersey now good job you know and and so I know Edel but when when they were using this word know it's in an intimate way Like when you say, I know my wife, it'd be saying, I know my wife intimately. And we're talking about a physical relationship between husband and wife. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. Do we have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that follows the will of God? And that's the question that he says, because he says, "I never knew you away from me, you evil doers." And basically, when he's saying "evil doers," he was talking about those who consistently, who consistently, um, you know, sin against God, whether they know it or whether they don't know it, and they don't confess their sin before God. And that's what he was saying here. And the question that you know, I have for all of us, including myself, is do we have an intimate relationship with Jesus? And it says in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Basically what he was saying is if my word is into you, you are truly my disciples. Not are you into the Word? Are you into my teaching? That's not what he is saying. Is my teaching into you? Then you are really my disciples. Well, what does those who do the will of God um, look like because they're the ones that enter the kingdom and this is why it's important that I hope you come um, to the um, this whole series because we're going to go over that and basically what the uh, standard now is the Sermon of the Mount because this is coming right after at the end of the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus came in and said okay this is how you thought that um, God wanted you to live, but I'm coming you to now and I'm ushering into a new way of life. And if you want to be my disciples, this is the way that I want you to live. This is what your heart should yearn after. And that's the Sermon of the Mount. And so that's what, um, we're going to talk about in the next, let's say, you know, several months. But you know, the good thing about this is that, you know, we experience God's grace. Well, maybe, just maybe, we're in a point of our our life right now where we got the prognosis, you know what, we do have high triglycerides. Well, the good thing is that we could change. We could reorient our life, that there's enough grace in God's kingdom to deal with that, where it says no Christian, no believer is sinless, you know, but the fact that We continually confess our sins, seek the Lord's forgiveness, and long for righteousness is evidence that we belong to him. Once again, let me repeat that. No Christian is sinless, but the fact that we continually confess our sins, seek the Lord's forgiveness, and long for righteousness is evidence that we belong to him. God's will may not be the perfection of the true believer's life, but it's the direction of it. God doesn't ask us to be perfect, but he asks us at least we have a heart to be going in that direction. You know, I know this probably was like, oh, no, not what I wanted to hear this Sunday. Um, But I think it was a good message or word for us to really take a look at ourselves ourselves our spiritual lives, you know, in the year 2019. How are we doing? How are we doing? Because like I said, this, this message wasn't meant to scare you. You know, like it scared me, these verses. But it was meant to encourage you. To say, okay, you're here right now. But you don't have to remain there. That God's going to still do His transforming work in His life. But we need to take our faith seriously. It's not, it can't be something that I I do this, I do this, I do this, and by the way, I'm a Christian. It can't be that way. Our faith has to be the center of our lives. But in the center of our faith, we have to have a heart after God and how God wants us to live, not how we think We should live. Because once again, I thought I was doing okay, a lot better eating the things I did until I found out I had high triglycerides. And I don't want that for me. You know, I don't want that for any of you. And so what's the weekly challenge this week? The weekly challenge is to, if you want to know what God is expecting for us in, in the way we live our lives, I want you to read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And this is the Sermon on the Mount, okay? This is, if we follow this, if our heart longs after those things, we're not going to hear the words, I never knew you. And we're going to go over this more in depth in our sermon series, But I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I measuring my spiritual life in superficial ways? I used to do that, and in some ways I still do. And so I had to sit down and think, what am I using as markers to kind of evaluate my spiritual life? You know, are they the same things Jesus is mentioning, measuring? Are they things that I feel that God would measure okay and finally you know knowing that loving god and loving others are at the heart of what jesus wants us to do what are some action steps you can take this week to increase your love or intimacy to get to know god more intimate and to increase your love for others those are that's the weekly challenge for us today and i i I hope you continue with us in this series because you know you know this series is just so important and so important you know because i'm your pastor i you know i love you guys i care so much about your spiritual growth and development and your transformation i don't want anyone in our congregation to hear those words that when jesus said the majority will hear i don't want that for any of you would you please join me in prayer Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God of love, that you are a God of forgiveness, and Father, that you are a God of second chances. And Father, you know our hearts. And Father, there might be some in here right now who have been measuring their spiritual growth or the spirituality by markers that they themselves came up with. And Father, I know that I've done that. And Father, we see in your word that there's a danger in that. That Father, you and you alone are the one who defines who and who is not a disciple of yours. And, Father, I admit there are many times that I did not live like a disciple, where I lived more as an evildoer than a disciple. But I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your forgiveness, Father, that you don't hold any of that against me. And, Father, you don't hold any of that against the members in our congregation. But Father, one thing I do pray for them this year that all of us, me included, would really take our faith seriously. That it won't just be a part of the many things that we do. But Father, it'd be at the center of who we are and how we live our life. And Father, at that very center of our belief system in you, Father, may we live our life to love you more and more to become more intimately involved in a relationship with you and not just know things about you and not to use our performance and works as a substitute for our intimacy with you but Father that we would spend time with you Father that we would treat you as somebody that we love as somebody that loves us And Father, would you grow in our hearts love for other people. And Father, I could truly see that in this congregation. And I'm thankful for that. So I ask that you would just increase what you are already doing here in that area. But Father, once again, we are so encouraged that you are a God who will take us where we're at. And wherever we're at right now, If we turn to you, Father, you are waiting with open arms to receive us back. And you will never turn away anybody who seeks you. So, Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. That even though there are times when we might seem unfaithful to you, you are always faithful to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.